0: I hope that uh, you are already uh, encouraged by the things that we have been singing and reading, and uh, the Lord has laid a particularly exciting subject on my heart. It's always uh, It's always good, it's always nice, I think, is the right word, it's not even the right word. Uh, when you get something that you're allowed to preach that is very exciting, uh, sometimes preaching can be a real burden, really hard. Uh, and filled with trepidation and all sorts of things. And other times it is just a real joy and an excitement because of the topic. And today is such a time. Uh, And I think you'll probably, uh, you'll see why in a moment. I was uh, contemplating last night uh, my teaching ministry uh, here at this church and elsewhere over the years. And I think it would be safe to say that it has been marked predominantly by my continual return to uh, the truth of the gospel. That is very much a focus and a central truth to me, uh, particularly when it comes to conversion and then living out our Christian life. But I noted last night in particular that there is an area of salvation, the gospel message, uh, that I neglect quite often. It's a very important aspect of it, and it's that of the future glory. Spend a lot of time talking about the past, a lot of time talking about the present, not a lot of time talking about the future. And in preparation for the, uh, the Grand Prix that we had yesterday, I started to think about the believers race. It had been on my mind all week. I was reminded that, like some of the cars that we saw yesterday, if you were here, the track is often bumpy. It's often uneven. It involves some collisions, like we saw yesterday. Sometimes we even come flying off the track and are in need of serious repair. Sometimes we need the loving hand of God to chisel out some weight which is besetting us. Other times the wheels fall off completely and we need healing and renewal. All those things were uh, bumping around in my head yesterday and throughout the week. And lately I've been giving the future a great deal of thought. It always at this time of year I begin to think about the next year and plans and and, uh, goals, personal life, church life, etc., And I've been receiving some great encouragement from the truths and promises that are revealed in the Word, but not yet realized. This morning, I'm going to take a a slight pause from what we started last week, uh, because this is where I've been led, as of yesterday. I want to look beyond this race of life and present a message I've entitled called, The Finish Line. The Finish Line. Um, Largely because... I've been looking at a finish line all all week, Um, getting ready for the Grand Prix, thinking about the Grand Prix, and uh, the finish line. Let's look at the finish line together. Lord, as we uh, turn to your word, as we look at various passages, as we consider many truths, I pray that you would uh, help me to keep this succinct, uh, that it would be most helpful, uh, that it would be encouraging, uh, and that we would have our eyes recalibrated to our future glory in Christ, all that is yet to come. And uh, this is a grand subject. Uh, It's much greater than any one message could ever do justice. And so uh, take out the things that don't matter, I pray, as I would uh, look at these notes and uh, preach from your word. Uh, And uh, Lord, help that which is most helpful and profitable to be inserted into this, that we would go away with joy, uh, with a certainty of our future, uh, Lord, if in fact we are a believer. Thank you for this time as we look to the finish line. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said before, if you have a Bible, or if you don't have one, you're going to need one. Because we're going to do a survey of the entire Bible today. Not quite. Let's go first of all to Philippians chapter 1, please. Philippians chapter 1. And uh, if you would like a Bible, you want a blue one from up the top there, because that's the ESV which I'm reading out of. It'll be easier to follow along. Philippians chapter 1. Talk about the finish line. And we're going to race through because there's a, a few things to cover. So, uh, if you don't get it all, make a copy of the CD, perhaps. The finish line, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul writes this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The first point, the finish line is as sure as the starting line. The finish line is as sure as the starting line. And you say, how is that possible? Very simply, the same individual, the same God who birthed you into his kingdom at the start is the one who will end it. He's the one who will bring all things to completion and accomplish it. He has taken it upon himself to ensure that you finish That's the promise made here in Philippians 1. The one who began the good work, and that wasn't us, thankfully, because it wouldn't last. The one who began the good work, none other than Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, uh, God the Father, the one who began that work in you is the one who will bring it to completion. So you can be as sure of your salvation at the beginning of the race, throughout the race, and to the end of the race, because it's the same one who empowers you for the race. That's such an encouraging thought. I don't have to worry about the future. Someone said it to us uh, in the testimony time. Um, God holds the future. We may not know all the answers about what it's going to look like fully, but the God who brought us into the race and sustains us through the race will bring us to completion at the end of the race. The finish line is as sure as the starting line. That is such an encouragement. And what a promise. I am sure of this. Are you sure of that? Paul is, the apostles are, Christians throughout the ages have been sure of it. So sure have they been that they are prepared to die at a stake because they know that this life is just temporary. They know that what is to come is eternal and the one who brought them into the kingdom of God and even if God dispatches them from this earth at a stake, you can know for certain that he who began the race will also finish it. What a joy. The finish line is as sure as the starting line. Secondly, the finish line is a promotion for the believer. The finish line is a promotion for the believer. We're still in Philippians. Look at verse 21 of chapter 1, please. Philippians 1 and verse 21. Paul says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain gain now for those of us who find the allurements of this world attractive there would be seemingly no gain because we are settled here we're enjoying our life here we're not doing what that song said I'm just a pilgrim passing through we're actually enjoying this life if we're enjoying this life we have something wrong in the sense of this is where we want to be if that's your situation there's something wrong Because this is just a temporary dwelling. Paul says, for me to live is Christ. While I'm in this body, I'm going to live for him. But understand, folks, he says, understand that to die is gain. This is the ultimate promotion. To die is to be with the Lord. I think perhaps we become so enamored with the here and now. So fixated on all that is before us and around us. Death is not to be feared, but to be understood as the gateway into the promised hope of eternal life. If you are walking with the Lord, if you have some foundation of truth in the Scripture, you'll know that for the Christian, death is never to be feared. Because it is the entrance into eternal life. But if you're an unbeliever here this morning, if you're one who has never come to understand the reality of, of what the Lord Jesus has accomplished on your behalf, then you ought to fear death. You ought to fear it greatly because the Bible tells us in Matthew ten twenty-eight: do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. If you are an unbeliever, you ought to be afraid because the Bible tells us in Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed unto man once to die and after this, the judgment. Be afraid of death if you are not in Christ. But oh, if you're in Christ, it is a gain. It is a promotion. It is supreme joy to leave this life and go into the next. However, let me quickly say, just in case any of you think that maybe I'll go home and uh, overdose or something so that I get to be with him sooner. That's not the point either. The Lord doesn't want you to end your life intentionally in order to be with him. He has a desired plan for your life. But... Our mentality ought not to be fixated here. We ought not to be focused on the here and now, but on the future. The finish line is a promotion for the believer. I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 8, please. And I'm pretty sure this is right in line with wherever Sean's gone. There he is over there. You can't change sides on me. You were over there before. (laughs) Sean said something very similar to this that we're going to look at as our third point here in Romans chapter 8. I want you to see, thirdly, the finish line involves incomparable glory. The finish line involves incomparable glory. Romans 8 and verse 18 says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That is a very, very powerful verse. I don't know about you, but I know in my own life when it comes to suffering, uh, my mentality is very rarely what Paul's is here. Um, uh, I often do not view my sufferings as uh, something that, yes, is happening in the present time, but there is a greater weight of glory, a a greater understanding of what is yet to come. I don't think that generally when I'm going through the suffering. Um, Perhaps that's just me. Maybe you think differently, but... It's not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Um, I think maybe it was Troy who said this before. There is, a, there is much mystery about the future. And I am by no means going to answer all your eschatological questions here this morning. Okay? Future end times. In fact, I couldn't even if I tried because I don't know all of them by any means. I'm not going to be able to answer that. But this is what we do know for absolutely certain. It will be more glorious. It will be more magnificent. It will be more fulfilling than anything you can imagine. You say, how do you know that? 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, But as it is written, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. You cannot even fathom. The greatest imagination in our midst here is not going to be anywhere near what the future glory in Christ Jesus is going to look like. Uh, sometimes hear young people in particular say, uh, but isn't heaven going to be a bit boring? Like, you know, what are we going to do? There's, you know, it doesn't say anything about football or soccer and it doesn't say anything about basketball and yeah, I don't want to be in church all the time. Like, you know, let, me just, let me just fix our understanding here. The reality of it is you can't fathom what this is going to be like. And if the God who created you and knows all the things that you love and has provided them in this life, don't you think that there's going to be even greater glory in the next? It's going to be amazing. and We're going to cover some of those things in just a few moments here, just to whet your appetite for uh, future glory. It's incomparable. You cannot compare it to anything else. The greatest ecstasies of this life cannot be compared to the future glory that it awaits us that was point three that is very good for me point three and i've been 10 minutes into this okay point number four that you won't there's a few more to go point number four the finish line is the ushering in of god's eternal kingdom The finish line is the ushering in of God's eternal kingdom. I want you to turn to perhaps a very peculiar passage. We don't go here very often. Daniel chapter 2. If you're not sure where that is, it's towards the back of the Old Testament. Almost said the New Testament then. Towards the back of the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 2. And I'm just going to tell you in advance, I do not have the time to give you all the context here. You're going to have to read it yourself to find out that I'm telling you the truth. Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon has had a dream and uh, I'm not reading it yet, I'm telling you about it, (laughs) this is the context real quick, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and Daniel has been called in to interpret the dream and we're going to pick it up in verse 44, chapter 2 and verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be established. Excuse me. (laughs) That's good, isn't it? I mustn't have had a very good sleep last night. That's not even anywhere near what the Bible says. Let's try that again, shall we? And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. That sounds much better. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Now, we could spend a lot of time summarizing what all that means, but this is what we need to understand right here and now, is that God's kingdom is marked by his reigning in righteousness, justice, love and majesty and power forever greater than any other kingdom in all of history and in fact if you look at this particular dream and you look at the uh, the statue in this time you find the great kingdoms of the earth to summarize there and yet none of them compare with God's kingdom look at chapter 7 of Daniel please And this, again, is an amazing portion of Scripture. Chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. Daniel says, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. Wow, what a picture this is. What a picture. Then look at verse 27 and 28 of this same chapter, please. Daniel chapter 7, verse 27. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. I wonder if your color would change. I wonder if your visage of your face would be a little bit different, having witnessed in a vision the glory of the ancient of days and his majestic rule over all the kingdoms of the earth. The finish line is the ushering in of God's eternal kingdom. Point five. And of paramount importance. If you get nothing else, this is the one. The finish line is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The finish line is the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 3, please. We're going to just park here for a few moments. 1 John chapter 3. Almost at the back of your Bible. Beginning in verse 1. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1 says this. I don't like the first word in the ESV. The King James is much better. It shouldn't be see, it should be behold. It's a much greater word. So I'm going to say, behold what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Notice verse 2, please. Beloved, we are God's children now and what will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is surely the greatest joy surely the supreme ecstasy is to finally see our savior there can be no greater thrill no nobler thought Then to finally receive the end of our faith, which is then sight. We live by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. And yet one day we shall see. Faith becomes sight. Let me read you a few verses. We won't turn there. But the psalmist says this wonderfully in Psalm 1715. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Wow. Isaiah 33, 17. Your eyes will behold the king in his beauty. They will see a land that stretches afar. The Lord Jesus in John 17, 24 says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. We will witness the glory of Christ. 1 Corinthians thirteen, twelve: For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then... Face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And then in Revelation 22, at the end of the entire uh, summary of the scriptures, we get to the last chapter and in verse 4, John tells us, they shall see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. The finish line is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That ought to mean something for us today. I could spend a lot longer on that, and I think you know that, but I'm going to keep going for the sake of time because we're not even halfway through our points. Number six. The finish line is the bestowal of our new heavenly bodies. Turn with me, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The finish line is the bestowal of our new heavenly bodies. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you find verse sixteen, we're going to read through to part of chapter five. Second Corinthians four and verse sixteen. You're going to know where every book of the Bible is at the end of this. Verse sixteen says, Paul says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we should be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. A new heavenly body. Let me break this down for us perhaps a little bit more. No more arthritis. Arthritis. No more dementia, memory loss. Men, no more boldness. Baldness, not <laughs> boldness, baldness. <laughs> I guess there's some ladies that that might apply to too, but generally men. No more obesity. I'm rejoicing in that. No more bad habits. No more bad hair days. This morning I was uh, walking... Uh, I'd finished doing some study and I went to get a coffee. I twisted my ankle twice on the way up the road. Not badly, just enough for it to uh, hurt. And my immediate thought was oh, new body. I just finished doing the study on this. And I thought, no more, new, no more twisted ankles. No more cramps. No more menstrual cycles. No more cancer. No more diets. No more weakness. No more fatigue. No more disabilities. No more handicaps. No more disfigurements. No more deafness. Can't wait to meet Josiah. Can't wait to meet Golda. Can't wait to meet others. 1 Corinthians 15.44 says this. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. 1 Corinthians fifteen forty nine says, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Whoa. Philippians three twenty verse and 21, Paul says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. This is exciting news. A new body. A spiritual, heavenly body. Point number seven. In answer to Julie's comment earlier, the finish line is the great reunion of the believers. The finish line is the great reunion of the believers. If you'd look with me in First Thessalonians, please, chapter 4. Turn to a couple of places here while we have just a few moments left. First Thessalonians, chapter 4. If you find verse 13. Paul answers this very question. First Thessalonians 4 and verse 13. He says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. He doesn't mean those who have fallen asleep. He means those who have died in Christ. That's Paul's way of saying they're not dead, as in we're never going to see them again. That you may not grieve as others do, who have no hope. Verse 14, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And what an encouragement they are. Let's go to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. And in here we find a verse that I'm excited, particularly excited about. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 11. Matthew 8 and verse 11. The Lord Jesus is speaking. Having ministered to a centurion... He says in verse 11, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, etc. I tell you, many will come from east, west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. I'm not sure about you, but... I am looking forward to meeting some of the Old Testament saints. I've got some questions I want answered. I've got some things that are not necessarily revealed by the Spirit of God in the pages of Scripture. I just, I just want to get alongside some of them. Now, obviously, and I hope you're the same, I mean, the very first and most important paramount person to see is the Lord Jesus. And we will spend forever worshipping Him and looking to Him But there is a sense in which these real humans who have lived their life by faith in Hebrews chapter 11, some of these other men and women of the faith over many years that we will recline at the table with them and and be able to say, so Enoch, what did it mean when the Lord said you were not? Were you really just taken away? Elijah, did you really go up in a whirlwind? Like What was that like? And what was it like, Elijah, on Mount Carmel when you... Call down the fire of God in the midst of people. Moses, when the waters were parted, and you walked through on dry land. Just give, me, give me a bit of a summary of that. Uh, I've got a whole list of questions. I'm hoping the Lord's going to let me take my list up so that I can, uh, so that I can ask my questions. Um, it's going to be a wonderful time of reunion, is it not? And uh, I don't know about you, but I look forward to meeting my little brother, Samuel, who died at seven months old through a cot death. I hardly know him. I'm looking forward to meeting him. Some of you are looking forward to meeting uh, children that you have lost. Some of you are looking forward to uh, reunions with uh, grandparents and those who ministered to you when you were younger. Sunday school teachers and and all these other people who have been men and women of faith. It's going to be a wonderful reunion. Say, you're going to get bored? I don't think so. It's going to be an incredible time. The finish line is the great reunion of believers. Abraham, Paul, Moses, Jeremiah, Peter, so many others. Point number eight. The finish line will be marked by feasting and fellowship. Feasting and fellowship. If you'd find Isaiah chapter 25. Isaiah 25, if you find verse 6, Isaiah prophesying a message that the Lord gave to him, says in verse 6, Isaiah 25 verse 6, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. One question, you'll be surprised at this probably, but one question I get asked more regularly than you might think about the scriptures is by Christians, particularly by Christians who love their food. Will there be food and drink in heaven is a question I get asked on a semi-regular basis. So I did a study some years ago because I happen to be one of those Christians who love their food and I had to ask this question. I'm pleased to say that as I stand in my study of the scripture, I believe that there will be food and feasting in heaven. No calories, that's right. What a blessing that'll be. No more carb counting. Where's Martin? He's not here. Here's what I have found in this little study, and we're not making light of this, but this is an exciting aspect of heaven that we can look forward to. Mark fourteen twenty five says this, Truly I say to you, the Lord Jesus says, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in the new kingdom of God. Okay, metaphorical perhaps, could be, maybe, maybe not. I don't think so. Revelation 19, verse 9, And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Marriage supper of the Lamb, a feast where the bridegroom is presented with his bride. And then in Luke 24, and this is the one that sealed it for me years ago. In Luke 24 and verse 41, the Lord Jesus in his resurrected body. Nail prints, we remember that. Thomas has already looked and beheld. And, uh, but he's in his resurrected glorified body. And there he is on the beach. And this is what Luke 24, 41 says. While they were still disbelieving, excuse me, while they still disbelieved believed for joy and were marvelling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Here's Lord Jesus in his glorified body eating broiled fish. I'm not sure why he chose fish, perhaps, you know, I might have chosen something else, but that's fine. But what we do know is that this glorified body has the ability to eat. And so I believe in future times we're going to be in glory in the new heaven. It'll be marked by feasting and fellowship in a very special way. It'll be an exciting time. Point number nine. The finish line is the freedom from sin and its effects. Perhaps second only to seeing the Lord Jesus' face... And being with him is this. Turn with me to Revelation 21. We read this earlier. I just want to point out just a couple of things under this point, and then we're almost done. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Just want to take just a few moments before we finish here, just to deal with the freedom that comes at the end of the race. Verse 1 says, there will be no more sea, first of all. No more sea. It's interesting this, because we would automatically think, "Well, why? What's wrong with the sea? Why would that not be in this new glorious place?" You've got to understand that right throughout the scriptures, the sea represents perpetual unrest. That's what the sea represents. It's perpetually unresting, and uh, so anything that relates to that which is unresting is no longer because this is a place of tranquility and rest. Now, water is still there. We read about the the, the wonderful places there in heaven where there is uh, water as glass, but the sea is no more. Gone. Secondly, we see in verse 4, every tear is wiped from the eyes. Wow. Think of how many tears you've cried. Think of how many times you've been overwhelmed by sorrow. In fact, the psalmist says, all my tears are in your bottle. He knows every single tear that you have cried, but the tears are gone forever. Gone forever. And then thirdly, verse 4 says, death will be no more. Never again will the sting of death be a reality in that new life, in that new place. There'll never be a time where you will become overwhelmed by sorrow and grief at loss. It's finished. It's gone. Number four four we see here is that sorrow, grief and pain are gone in verse four. That's exciting. No more pain, no more stubbing the toes when you get up in the morning. It's not going to happen anymore. You're not going to have the the, the aches and the pains and the creaks of the body. All of that is gone. The pain is finished. The sorrow and the grief, gone forever. Wow. But greater still than all of these is the fifth thing we see here in verse 8. All evil, all sin, and everything that is under its power is gone. The world the flesh the devil gone forever never again am I going to wrestle in this area or that area never again am I going to fall into temptation never again am I going to become overwhelmed at my own sinfulness in this realm because it's gone it's finished it's done wow what a time the finish line is the freedom from sin and it's effects and we could spend much time on that. We have two more points and we're going to cover them quickly. Point number 10. We won't turn to these, I'll just give these to you. The finish line is the realization of our inheritance and rewards. Finish line is the realization of our inheritance and rewards. I put this right at the back here because sometimes I think in Christianity, we are told that we ought to strive because of rewards. Okay, that's faulty. That's not the way it works. God will give rewards for faithful service. But if your motive is to gain rewards, you just lost your reward. That's the reality of it. If your motive is I'm doing this for reward, even in heaven, then you've got it wrong already and that reward isn't there. The reward is that God given grace to us for faithful service when Christ is at the forefront when we serve. But the reality is there is an inheritance and rewards. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5 says this. Just read verse 5 here. I should say verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Specifically for you. There is an inheritance for you, reserved in heaven at this very moment, guarded by God's grace, never to be removed. That's yours. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us that if anyone builds on the foundation, which is Jesus Christ, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble. All those will be tested by fire one day. And by the fire we will see what kind of works they were. Gold, silver, precious stones, works with the right motive and the right service will last. Wood, hay and stubble will be burned up and be worthless. Our rewards will be tested by fire. Paul at the end of his life to Timothy says this in verse uh, 8 of chapter 4. He says, Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all those who love his appearing. The finish line is the realization of our inheritance and our rewards. The last thing that I want us to note, if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the finish line. And this is not so much about the future, this last point. But it is our motivation for the future. The finish line, lastly, the finish line is our motivation for our present service. Now we know that in that we mean the Lord Jesus Christ being our motivation. Verse 51 of chapter 15 here. Paul says this. Behold... O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 58, that's all future. Here's the present. Therefore, my beloved brethren, brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You say, what's my motivation? My motivation for all these future things uh, in, in my service is the reality that the finish line is just there. The finish line is ahead of us. So be steadfast. Be immovable. Be abounding in the work of the Lord because it's not in vain. If we had time, I'd take us to Colossians chapter 3. And let me see if I can just tell us what it says there. Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For your life is hid with Christ. You are dead, and your life is hid with Christ. And then he says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then you also shall appear with Him in glory. This is our motivation. This is how we carry on. This is the point. And so the the challenge for us as we look at a racetrack, which is just a very dim picture, is that there are bumps. There are times we spin out. There are times things don't go to plan. But we look at a finish line. We do so in our Christian life. May we run our race with patience, looking under Jesus, and our future hope beyond this life. Let's press on to the finish line. Lord, we thank you for a, a, quick, a quick synopsis of all that is yet to come. There is so much more that has not been covered uh, in these few moments together, but I pray that we would be encouraged by looking to the future, by the truths revealed in your word. Uh, there is much more here than any one of us can fully comprehend. Uh, but I pray that uh, those parts of this message that are most helpful to us, that are needed for encouragement, needed for challenge, uh, Lord, that you'd bring them to our attention. Thank you for this time, for the uh, attendance of each person, the concentration, uh, and thank you for your word, which we can open at this hour uh, and be encouraged by it. In Jesus' name, amen.